Shay. I'm Sydney. I'm Shu. And we have a special episode for you. That's right. Uh, today we are discussing the Surviving R. Kelly docuseries. Which we were both super excited to watch. R. Kelly was the first ever enemy of the show. That's right. And we did an episode on him over a year ago. Yes, it was one of our earliest episodes, right? It yeah. It was like right at the beginning. Um, wow. I didn't, we did an episode and yet I still was not ready for how terrible this man is. Yeah. Um, this docuseries was pretty upsetting to watch. Like, So trigger just, warning, we're going to talk about abuse, yeah. emotional abuse, sexual abuse. Yeah, and um, if you don't want to watch it, but you want to know, like, what happens, like, mm-hmm. perfect, this is the episode to listen yeah. to, but it was upsetting for me, and if it upsets you and you don't want to be upset, like, feel free not to listen to this episode, Yeah, is all I'm saying. We still love you if yeah. you don't listen. Because I just feel like the need to say that, because I had R. Kelly nightmares, like, after watching this show, yeah. so I was just like, fuck, dude, like, he is America's boogeyman. He's a monster. Well, and they did touch on that from the very first episode. Yes. That girls at this high school. So apparently, well, we'll go. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll let you describe the first episode. Yeah, because we'll go by episode by episode. So it makes sense. Um, So the first episode is called The Pied Piper of R&B. And the description is, as singer R. Kelly rises to fame and power as a rhythm and blues icon, he forms relationships with younger singers and dancers. Rumors about his marriage to a 15-year-old Aaliyah do little to stop his meteoric trajectory. And so in this episode, it starts out saying he went to this high school on the south side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. He doesn't read and write well. He ended up like winning a music competition and yeah. subsequently dropping out of high school. Um, well, and they also say, which I did appreciate, like I, th- it was done very well, this mm-hmm. whole docuseries. There's a lot of things I appreciated about it, but they did touch on how he was like a very quiet, shy little boy. He was very to himself. He never wanted to go outside. They have two of his brothers in the docuseries. Mm-hmm. Um, and they both described him like, you know, he didn't like talking to people. He was sad because his classmates would always make fun of him for not knowing how to read or write. And he was also molested as a little boy. So and then and then so as he's older and he drops out of high school, he keeps going back to visit the high school and this yes. is, he's 18, he's 19, he's, he's in 20, college. And it, he's not in college, he didn't graduate high school. Didn't he go to like, who was that teacher? She was his music teacher. He went to like a music, a school like, that had a good mu- uh, music program, but that was his oh, high school. That was in high school. That was in high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. I got really confused. Dude can't fucking read. He didn't graduate That's high true. school. He dropped okay. out. But as he kind of got famous, he was initially famous around Chicago. Uh, He won this like TV music competition. And so as he got a little fame under his belt, he would go back to visit the high school. And it became a thing. Um, The girls at school would say, watch out. R. Kelly will get you. Like, don't don't be waiting outside alone. R. Kelly will get you. So he even before he was known nationally, yes, he was famous in Chicago and had a reputation for hanging out around the high school. And it's one thing 
18 fine you want right. to go back and visit your high school but once you're in your 20s Ooh. it's weird if you're hanging out at your old high school that you didn't even graduate from yeah and you're chatting up girls so this was a reputation before he was even famous 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 yes he had a reputation for being kind of a boogeyman yeah so frightening yes so then um he meets two of the girls um that are in the first episode he met at the high school. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right. And, and he's like 22 and they're like 15. Yeah. And he's like, I'll help you with your music careers. Like, I want to hear you sing. He took this is what he does with all the girls. He takes them to his studio. So mm-hmm. it seems legit at first. And then, you know, slowly he starts getting them just wrapped around his finger. But um, so eventually he meets Aaliyah. Mm hmm. And that was because his manager was her uncle. Yes. And was like, hey, I want you to mentor my niece. Yeah. And I will say this. So he put out this song called She's Got That Vibe. And when this song came out, Aaliyah was 12 years old. Yeah, that's when he met her. She was 12. She was 12. And so later in the docuseries they say the evidence has been in his lyrics all along yeah so this song she's got that vibe came out when Aaliyah was 12 and he's talking in it about hot chicks and he says even little cute Aaliyah's got it yeah and Aaliyah was 12 yeah so in his lyrics he's talking about a 12 year old having the sexy vibe oh it's awful and like not only that but he helped her with her first album he produced it and it's age ain't nothing but a number Mm -hmm. in which she's talking about trying to convince an older man to be with her and like age isn't nothing but a number which he created and i'm like how fucking dare you like turn that around and make it seem like it's her trying to seduce you and well and that's something that like predatory men do where they're like she wanted it she seduced me yeah. Like, and you're like, really? Even if she did? Because I've I've heard stories. Uh, I've had several male friends who are teachers who have told me stories of having, like, 13-year-olds wear no panties to class and, like, spread their legs under a desk. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, one of them said he was teaching junior high math, and he had to go speak with the principal and stuff and be like, I can't have this girl. She shows up to class early. She doesn't wear panties. She's super flirtatious with me. I like need her to not do that because I'm scared of being in the room alone with her because someone could walk in on something and blame me. And he's like, this is a problem. Yeah. Where this 14 year old knows her. She knows her sexuality as a weapon. And, but like, she doesn't know she doesn't know what she's doing and this is bad and I need you. Yeah. And I've heard several stories like that from male teachers where but it's like because they are the adults, they say, No, shut right. it down, exactly. get out of here, go to the principal's office. So even if a child is trying to seduce an adult, it's not the child's fault if sex happens. Yes. Like that's the thing. But predators will be like, She wanted it. Exactly. Yeah. It's so fucked up. So he produces her album. Um, she's 15. Did they say that she thought she was pregnant? She was she pregnant. She was pregnant. So, okay, because f- she went to someone and she was like, I'm in trouble. 
or maybe R. Kelly went to someone and said, I'm in trouble. I got her pregnant. He went to his like road manager. Yes. So before she got pregnant and before they were secretly married, they were on tour and these 15-year-olds that he had picked up at the high school became his backup singers. And yes. they were on tour, too. So everyone's sleeping on a bus. They have, like, if you've never seen a tour bus, they kind of have, like, bunk beds. And there'll be a master bedroom in the back. And these girls said they walked in on R. Kelly having sex with a 14- or 15-year-old Aaliyah in yeah. that back room. And they were, like, they were really upset about it. Like, what the fuck are you going to do? Like, they're 15 or 16. They just caught the dude that they're working with railing a child. Like, it's everyone knew it was happening. And then at a certain point, Aaliyah was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they ever said if she got an abortion or there was a miscarriage. They never mentioned it again, which is why I was like, wait, did they say that? Like, I questioned it because they never really brought it up again. But I think that's because they ended up separating. Well, and I think the documentary was very careful. A lot of the questions that go unanswered it's because they're worried about libel. So if they don't have enough evidence, if you right. make a claim without evidence, you can be sued for libel. And so some of the things they leave open-ended, I assume, is for legal reasons mm -hmm. because they don't know what happened, so they can't really pontificate on it. Yeah. Um, I kind of got the feeling that maybe he married her so that, she then is like a legal adult after you're married you don't need your parents permission to go get medical services oh. and i was like oh maybe they got married so she could go get an abortion or whatever perhaps i don't know unfortunately we'll never know yeah um but they did get married the road manager got forged documents saying that she was 18 years old for the marriage license um they marry it's a crazy story all over america but I feel like everyone thought that was just a weird one-time thing. It was a weird one-time thing. And it's weird. It is weird that we just wrote it off so easily it at the is. time. I think because she looked mature. She did. She looked sure. mature. They made her up in a way that made her look way more womanly than she actually was. And that's one of the things one of the backup singer talks about is like, no, when we met Aaliyah and knew her before she was. Aaliyah she looked like a little girl she looked like a little girl she didn't have that urban street vibe that everyone credited her for you know they like kind of created that for her yeah and so it made her look like a wise woman mm -hmm. and then you think okay well she was an old soul or whatever and this was a one-time instance and they were musical soulmates or whatever yeah it was weird and they showed a video of like them two on together and they're like wearing matching plaid outfits and hats and um the the interviewer asks her like so everyone wants to know there's all kinds of rumors about your relationship no one knows if you're cousins are you boyfriend girlfriend are you related like what is going on and they were just like she said, he's my best friend. This is my very best friend right here. My very best friend. Yeah. And then she said, and how old are you, Aaliyah? And Aaliyah just went, Shh, like, I'm not going to tell you. It's a secret. And, you know, the interviewer played it off well. She was like, of course, a woman never tells her yeah. age. But it was awkward for sure. And hindsight, like, what the fuck was everyone thinking to just be like, oh, that was whatever. Normal. 
So, anyways, her parents end up getting it annulled. Thank God. Yes. They get him away. They get her away from our Callie. She goes to uh, work with Timberland and Missy Elliott for her next album. Mm-hmm. And, you know, success continues for her until her tragic end. Yeah. In her plane crash. Which I still... I get sad. I miss Olia. And I can't imagine just the impact of, like... Basically, the best time in your life where your career is launching, your dreams are coming true, but you're also being emotionally and sexually manipulated. Yeah. And how that makes you feel. Yeah. And I, well, I've been watching like, um, p- like page six and TMZ and stuff. They've been talking about the docuseries. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they were saying on page six is that the guy he, she was with be- when she died, mm-hmm. um, worked with jay-z and what a reason why they had a falling out was because jay-z decided to work with r kelly and she had told her boyfriend what a terrible person r kelly was and her boyfriend who she was with when she died he said that she didn't like talking about it and she would stay pretty quiet about it but um what she always said was he's a really bad guy and he's just a really bad person. That makes so, me feel sh- good that she, before she passed, that she, like, knew that what happened to her was bad and wrong. Yeah. Because often people identify or write excuses for their abusers because they've been groomed and manipulated. And I'm glad that she knew that that wasn't okay and that's not just how the business works or whatever. Right. Yeah. Wow. Because she was in her 20s, like her early, early 20s, right? She was 20. 20? Okay. Yeah. So at least she got to like, like you said, kind of be like, fuck that guy. It's sad. And I wonder if she would speak out on it today if she was alive. You know, that's Mm -hmm. something I kind of wondered. Like, would she be a part of the stocky series? And I would Um, think yes. I hope so. They, the person who made it said that it was really hard to get any celebrities to talk about like to come on and talk like she approached jay-z and like mary j blige and some other people quest love i think that Aaliyah is kind of sacred Uh, yeah just in pop culture like no one has anything bad to say about her everyone loved her and oh totally and then i think people are then you know hesitant to speculate on her feelings Mm -hmm. because it would cheapen things right because you know how like when someone passes like people come out of the woodwork and talk about them and it's always just it makes the person who's speaking look bad yeah no but they wouldn't even come on the documentary speak about r kelly and just like in general about knowing that he was a creep or whatever well that's something that makes me really really mad because everyone was praising John Legend for being on it. Because no one would be in the documentary. Yeah. And John Legend came on and was like, hey, this is not okay. Yeah. And, and he didn't say anything that extreme. <laughs> they barely showed him, really. Like, here and there. But he was just the only big celebrity willing to acknowledge that R. Kelly's fucked up. Yeah. And it makes me really mad because, like, Lady Gaga worked with R. Kelly. She's an advocate for sexual assault survivors she is a sexual assault survivor she made a song with him called do what you want with my body and this was way post you know the pornography trial whatever and i'm just like what are you doing or like when 
well, this stuff started bubbling to the surface and Spotify took his music down. Kendrick Lamar said he would take his music off of Spotify if they didn't put R. Kelly back. No. And that makes me really <gasps> mad um, because the thing with Kendrick Lamar is like he is such a beacon for wannabe woke white bitches. Yeah. Like they just fucking they love Kendrick. Yeah. I love Kendrick. I have two of his songs on my workout playlist. Like, I, I understand. Yeah. I don't. That's upsetting. Personally, I don't I don't get him. I don't like him. He doesn't speak to me. Um, and it's always been a weird thing with his fan base who seems to be largely white chicks who want to be woke in hood. Yeah. Um, and then I was like. Now I have another reason not to like him totally. because he's a huge star. He's very successful. He's won a lot of awards and he knows what R. Kelly did. There's yeah. no, and for him to say to Spotify, I'll take my music off if you don't put R. Kelly back up. And they did. They no yeah. longer put him in playlists or suggestions. But if you search for R. Kelly, you'll find him. Right. Exactly. And um, that makes me really not like... Um, not like Kendrick Lamar. Like, what the yeah. fuck are you doing? Whereas, at least, you know, Vince Staples, he's uh, another, he's like another um, hip-hop artist. But he was getting interviewed for, he was at, like, some, what was it? Like, uh, a big concert with a bunch of other people, like a... A festival? A festival. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm stroking out it over here. Sometimes. Anyways, he was at a festival doing an interview and he started talking about how R. Kelly is a pedophile and like was straight up like, fuck R. Kelly, like mute R. Kelly. Oh, I did so see that. that made, yes. There's, you know, there's people, but yeah, it sucks. It sucks that the people who are supporting him with like, they have a voice and people listen to them and it just keeps it going it makes it harder and harder and that people were so for 30 years this dude's been out there doing this shit and it's just now coming to the surface and people knew there's no way that you don't know right it's like when people were like i didn't know harvey weinstein was a Mm. was a douchebag and i'm like dude i'm like a light follower of hollywood gossip and i've known that for at least 15 years right maybe more because whenever gretchen mole was trying to be a star Mm -hmm. that's when i first read about harvey weinstein being bad so there's no way that sydney delorean in mesa arizona knows this dude's a fucking creep and you who work in hollywood right haven't heard things yeah so that's Uh, what's bothersome it's bothersome and with that Let's read description of episode two. All right. Hiding in plain sight. After his marriage to Aaliyah is annulled, R. Kelly continues to soar on top of the charts. A talented choreographer becomes the new Mrs. Kelly in a secret ceremony. This was upsetting. So we meet his wife. Andrea Kelly. She was 19 when she met him. Um, I don't remember. Oh, she went to an audition for him. Yeah, because someone said, one of her friends was like, you have to go do this audition, mm-hmm. you know, because she was like, that's not my style of dance. Like, I, I'm not interested. And then she, you know, just decided, fine, I'll just try see what happens. And she was hired to be his backup dancer on tour, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so then they start dating. And like, this is the thing that everyone says. This is so typical of abusers is like, R. Kelly is fun. 
R. Kelly is a goofy, cool guy who like likes to have fun and he's sweet and he's considerate. And the other thing he did that abusers do is he showed his vulnerability to her. Yes. So he was like, I don't know how to read. And so she's teaching him how to read like typical stuff you'd be codependent about. Right. And he told her about his sexual abuse because abusers will tell you about their damage. Mm-hmm. So then you feel sorry for them and you justify their behavior, yeah. which I have definitely done in past relationships where I'm like, Someone is being terrible to me, but because I know them and I know the trauma that they've went through, I excuse their behavior where I'm like, oh, well, he's only like this because of X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, I feel I'm teaching him. <laughs> like, First of all, I'm not going to, I don't want to be mean to illiterate people, but if like the bonding that you're having with your 27 year old boyfriend is that you're teaching him how to read. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, yeah, he gets angry sometimes at me and he's mean to me, but it's because he's frustrated because he can't read. Like, that's not normal. Yeah. Let's just put that out there. It's not normal. And so, yeah, it gives it. The vulnerability helps the victims excuse their predatory behavior. Yes. Because they start off as a vulnerable, really fun person. And then slowly they start to lower the wall of the fake personality mm-hmm. and you start to see the monster that is really there. Yeah. And like, Liz, Liz, we contain multitudes so you can be a right. victim and an abuser. And that is yes. often the case. And that's why they call it the cycle of abuse. And I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying y'all mad about these girls who've been victimized. And we're talking about how no one cares about them because they're young black girls. But what about the young black boys getting abused? And like R. Kelly is also a victim. And it's like it doesn't justify the behavior. Exactly. Like there's so many people who are abused and grow up to be perfectly functioning human beings they find a way to live a happy life and to deal with the pain that their abuse caused them in a healthy manner like it doesn't always mean that you're going to become an abuser too yeah and just because the public is having outcry over the pain that his victims have suffered it doesn't mean we're saying it was okay that he was molested when Not he was a all. kid. No one is saying that that is okay. We are saying that his current actions are wrong. Yeah. So that's a, that's a weird dialogue I have been seeing because as I was watching this, I told Lou, I was like, I have to get on black Twitter. He's like, yeah. first of all, there's black Twitter. I'm like, yeah. You're like, oh, Lou. Oh, Lou. I only fuck with black Twitter and gay Twitter. I don't yeah. fuck with any, any other, other Twitter. No other Twitter. Get out of my face. Social yeah. justice Twitter, political <sighs> Twitter. No right. room for it. Give me black Twitter and gay Twitter. That's all I fucking That's all want. want. That's all I follow. And so it, it's been an interesting diet, public yes. dialogue to observe um, because a lot of, a lot of people have pointed out like, Oh, but he was a victim himself. And right. I'm like, yeah. And exposing his victimhood is part of what made his victims feel sorry for him. Yeah. Some some victims choose to use it as a tool against other people. Yes. And that's what he's doing. And it's not okay. But um so anyways, she meets him, she's working for him, they're dating, she's like he's a fun guy, and then he asks her to move in with him. 
Mm-hmm. Did that happen before they got married? I, I think so. Okay. So she moves. She said that's when everything changed. He became very controlling. He didn't want her talking to other people. And people say they never saw her again. Yeah. She moved in with R. Kelly and they just didn't see her for years. Yes. Because she quit working. mm -hmm. She quit going on tour. Mm -hmm. She became isolated in this house. If she was to get her hair done, her makeup done, her eyebrows waxed, the people had to come to her. She wasn't even allowed to go to a salon. Yeah. And she did say, like, you know, I knew he was controlling because... During the tour, he didn't let the dancers talk to the band or the band talk to the uh, sound engineers. Like, no one was allowed to talk to each other. Everyone had to stay in their group and only talk to him. That I thought was interesting because she said on a normal tour, you become like family because you are day and night with the same crew of people and you build a family-like bond. But he wouldn't let... And it's insane to me that people who are working together, what do you mean the the dancers can't talk to the right. band or whatever? Because like it's almost like you need to communicate to for practice and stuff to put on shows, but they weren't al- like not allowed to, mm-hmm. which is insane. Yeah, it's very insane. So at some point he takes her out and they end up at a hotel room and there's candles, there's violinists and like a little mini orchestra and dinner and everything beautiful. And he's like, we're getting married. And she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, okay. And so they, she marries him. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it just goes downhill from there for her. Which is very upsetting. And she says, like, she didn't know that he was seeing other girls and stuff because he was, she was locked in her room. She would have to knock to come out of her room. Oh, that was the saddest part. So we meet another backup singer named Sprinkle. Sparkle? Sparkle. Sparkle was not... A backup okay. singer. She was an artist that he was producing. I'm sorry. I, I was don't know. doing other shit while I was watching this docuseries. So some things are a little fuzzy to me. I was like running around doing laundry and shit. Oh, no. I got but, you. Um, um, so, okay. yeah. Sparkle was an art, a solo artist that he was producing he was, and working okay. with. And she said. I think she might have been the one who pointed out how controlling he was on tour. I don't, yes. It right? might have been okay. her. And so she said. She was over. They were watching a show like her and R. Kelly and some other people. And she was hearing knocking coming from the other room. Yeah. And what happened? She said that she just kept hearing knocking for a while. And finally, she's like, do you guys hear that? And R. Kelly leans back and he's like, yeah. And his wife sticks her head out of the door and is like, can I come in here to like get some food and just hang out like be in the room and he's like yeah come out here like oh yeah of course and she just sparkle was like i looked at her and was like oh hell no like you've been here the whole time yeah like she had no idea that his wife was even there and she's like i would never like let that happen like i am not that type of person and i think that's when she brought up the tour because she said 
he would tell everyone not to talk to her, Sparkle, uh-huh. and whoever they were working with, and she would just walk around talking to everyone just to piss him off. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because she's like, no one's going to tell me what to do, and no one's going to quiet me. So I go, I went around talking to everyone. No one would say anything back, but I was just talking to everyone. So, damn. Damn. Okay, so should we go to episode number three? Let's do episode number three. Okay, it's titled Sex Tape Scandal. So, as journalists uncover a trail of lawsuits and confidential settlements concerning underage girls, an underground sex tape emerges that puts R. Kelly in a compromising position. Okay, so there was a girl who was dating him. She was like 16, and she initially thought that just... They were dating, and then she found out there were other girls, mm-hmm. and he made her have sex with this other girl on videotape a couple times. And he told her that she was was she seventeen, she, and he told her she the other girl was sixteen. Yeah, and so she thought like I don't want to do this; it feels weird, but at least we're the same age. And then she later found out that girl that he had made her have sex with several times was fourteen. Yeah, and she got very upset because. She felt disgusted because she had sex with a child. Yeah. It's like, even though it still is within a close age range, I think it's enough that when you're 17, you're looking at 14 year olds as like, oh, I remember when I was a little girl like that. Yeah. And so this goes to like a normal sane person knows as a 17 year old, I shouldn't fuck a 14 year old. And R. Kelly at this point is like fucking 30. Yeah. And so she feels really bad about it. She says that she stole the videotape and gave it to, like, a member of the band or something to hide because she didn't want a tape out there of her with a 14-year-old. Right. And she felt bad about it. A lot of people on the internet think that she stole it to blackmail him. But she ended up... How did it work? She ended up leaving R. Kelly, but then claimed she became worried about the existence of the tape and was worried it would get into the wrong hands. And she actually told him that she took it. So then she tells R. Kelly, like, she's not living with him anymore. They're not dating, allegedly. But she says, hey, um, I gave this tape to this person Mm -hmm. and you need to get it back because I'm worried about it. Again, it all sounds really weird. But I don't want to call out her behavior too much because we're dealing with a teenager and a victim who right. isn't thinking logically. And honestly, in within abusive relationships, a lot of weird shit happens. Yes. You will be surprised the types of things you're capable of doing. Yeah. Like, because you're not in your right mind. And so a yeah. lot of people on the internet are saying she stole that tape because she wanted to make money, blah, blah, blah. She wanted to blackmail him. Well, guess what? It still isn't the fault of a teenager. If you have sex with a teenager and that teenager later wants to blackmail you with that information, still not that teenager's fault. Right. Because you know how you can avoid that is not having sex with a teenager. Let's not act like she's this selfish, calculating, money-grubbing person. Because even if a teenager wanted to fuck you and film it and blackmail you, that's still on you because you're a fucking adult. Exactly. First off, why are you having sex with children? Secondly, why are you videotaping it, you fucking sicko? Yeah. Like, he videotaped every single sexual encounter he had with every 
girl he met. And so, a lot of the girls will say, like, they looked over and they saw it was a recording and they were scared to say anything. Yeah. And they would just turn their face away because they didn't want their face to get on camera. Right. With and this particular one, he had his tripod, like, he it was, it was very open. Like, yeah. Like, I'm filming you. And what she said, too, is he would direct them and, like, tell them exactly what he wanted them to do. Because he's which, a control freak. Yes, like control- that's what a lot of them said was like he had a vision for how he wanted everything. And all the people who like applaud his artistic talent were saying the same thing about mm-hmm. when he did a song, he knew all the parts, how he wanted them, when he shot the video, he styled the video. So mm-hmm. here he is, he thinks that he's this artistic genius and he has total control over his music videos, but he thinks like sex should be run like the way his studio or set works. Right. So it's like here's someone who never should have gotten any power. Yeah, because he's treating, um, you know, the way that he can behave on a music video set is how he's behaving in the bedroom with children. Yes. Uh, Which Um, is fucking crazy. It's awful. So and also I think we should know, too, like most pretty much the majority of the, the girls he meets, he gets them by saying, I will help you with your music career. Like yeah. they all go into this thinking they're getting a career. Yeah. Like none of them. I mean, it was like, Oh, he's cute. He's our Kelly, whatever. But all of them were like, I thought I was getting a mentor and like a producer. Like I thought he was going to make me like famous. Like he did Aaliyah. He never was saying, Hey, I want to take you out on a date. Like it was never his pickup line. Yeah. It was always come into my studio, sing for me, blah, blah, blah. And like, they weren't unjustified in believing that because you know right. e- you know R. Kelly launched Aaliyah. Yeah. And so here it is, you're thinking he's going to do for you what he did for her. He does have that ability. It has been proven publicly. So you go in, you sing in the studio, whatever. And then all of a sudden things get sexual, but you're thinking this is my one shot yeah. to get out of, you oh, know, man. this small town in Florida. <sighs> um, so yeah. the girl with the tape... She leaves R. Kelly, then she tells R. Kelly this guy gets it. R. Kelly tries to buy it back from the guy for, like, $250,000. And R. Kelly's flying her back mm-hmm. to, like, help get the tape or whatever. It, it's kind of shady. At one point, she says she later found out that they were there was talk about having her killed. Yeah. Which is insane. Um, but R. Kelly gets the tape back, but copies have already been made. And apparently, it first starts showing up on like like swap meets and stuff Mm -hmm. in chicago on vhs and it's like dude you go down to the south side you go to the swap meet you can buy this r kelly sex tape and that's how it starts getting out there so there are just hard copies of it by the hundreds Mm -hmm. and at this point the cat's out of the bag there's no buying the Uh, tape back getting the tape back the tape is out there actually did that happen first or was it that someone sent it to a journalist no, it that happened later. The journalist, the journalist caught it, the tape. Yeah, and, and so started investigating and started asking backup singers who didn't work with him any longer were like not in his fucking grasp. Yeah, like Sparkle, um, come, can you come view this video? We think you might know some of the girls in it. Is this R. Kelly? And the, one of the, so the girl, the girl in the tape, the 14-year-old, mm-hmm. she was on a basketball team at her local high school. She was a freshman. Yeah. And someone brought a copy of the tape to her basketball coach and was like, 
I think one of your players is on this tape. Yeah. Which is insane. And so that coach went and started working with the police. Uh-huh. And. Well, I think, yeah, I think he was like a, like SVU type officer. Yes. Anyways. And he was like. Oh, yeah. He was teaching. a former SUV. Yeah. Yeah. He was a former police officer who in his retirement was. Like, the principal and basketball coach at yeah, this school. But when he was an officer, he was, like, in the special victims yeah. unit. Mm-hmm. So he, I remember him saying he got the video, he took it to the police station and watched it there. And it was the most upsetting thing he's ever seen because it was actually someone he knew. Yes. And how hard that was for him because it was, like, the first time that it was someone he actually was, like, yeah. in his life. Which was so upsetting. And then Sparkle goes down to the journalist's office and views the video. And she's like, it's definitely R. Kelly. It's definitely my little cousin because it was her cousin or it was her niece. And she had brought. Here's what bothers me about Sparkle. Yeah, that was the most upsetting fucking reveal. Like, I did not want that. I I saw it coming, but I did not want it to be that. Sparkle. Had to have known she worked with R. Kelly. She knew he sucked. She knew he was shady. And she she didn't have, maybe if she didn't have 100% evidence that he was shady, she had to have heard whispers. Right. But she decided, despite that, to introduce her little cousin to R. Kelly. Because she niece. thought, her niece, sorry. I just yeah. call everyone a little cousin. Because cousin. I'm an, I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> but she said she introduced her niece to R. Kelly because her niece was a really talented rapper. Mm-hmm. She said little Bow Wow level. This niece was so talented and she introduced her niece to R. Kelly because she wanted R. Kelly to give her niece a career. Yeah. There's no way that Sparkle didn't know about Aaliyah, at least the right. rumors at this point. So when it came out that it was her niece and she said she would never leave her niece alone in the studio she always took her niece there and stayed with her the entire time never she would go in the booth to sing and never take an eye off her niece the entire time she was singing but then she found out she like went to the studio one day and her niece was already there and she was upset she's like like, who are you here with and she's like just r kelly and so sparkle knew that something wasn't right Mm -hmm. she chose to ignore that because she wanted her niece to have a chance but it's like for me i wouldn't work with or let anyone i know around somebody right if there was rumor and conjecture you see his wife's banging on the door asking to be let out of the bedroom and you're still gonna like that's not okay that's like a huge red flag especially for someone who's like i would never be that person i would never let that happen to me it's like, well, then why are you associating with this Yeah. Person? Like, I'm sorry, Sparkle, but that was tough to watch. That was tough to watch, and it shows the power of fame that you're willing to introduce your niece to this person you know is shady, that you know you have to monitor her around right. in order to get her fame. Well, that's like the heartbreaking thing, like, in the center of all of this is, so much of it has continued and was driven by the desire for fame mm-hmm. and just like that thing of like, but this is my chance, but I could be famous. And it's like, it's just so heartbreaking how he uses that against everyone. And I just want to say, if you are a super talented person and you put in work, you will find your spotlight in any, it, it will, you will find it. 
Yeah. You don't, if you're so talented, you don't need this person to make your inroads into the business. And then also at what cost? So right. there are a million hyper talented people who are working as baristas and medical billers and like, you know what I'm saying? Who yeah. have day jobs because not everybody gets to have a career mm-hmm. doing where, you know, what they shine in. But is it really worth having that career if it means sacrificing your soul, the sanctity, your sexuality? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, is it? But, okay, these are children, so I understand. Well, that and by the time they are realizing what they're giving up for mm. this alleged fame, it's already too late. It's already they're too in late. It. And the most... The other heartbreaking thing is a lot of these girls are really talented. They're like already trying to pursue a career mm-hmm. and that got taken away from them. Yes. Like the thing they went there for was taken by R. Kelly because he's like, I'm not going to give you a fucking career. I'm making my slave. Yeah. Because if you have a career, you're better than me. You can leave. Right. You have power. So he actually uh. hobbled them. Um, and so it's hard because, yeah, I get being a teenager and being like, oh, my God, oh, I have this course. unbelievable opportunity. And you don't have the wisdom where, you know, I'm an auntie. So I can sit right. back and say not worth it. Like, I mean, I've had dudes offered to support me and pay my bills while I went to grad school, which is like my dream. Yeah. You know, but I'm unwilling to sacrifice my independence. Right. To achieve a dream. Well, um, and so for me, my independence and my sanctity and whatever, but I'm also old and I know yeah. that now if I were an inner city 14 year old, it would, it would ring different if it's like, Hey, you can achieve your dreams and you think this is my only shot. Yeah. Well, and that they did a good job in the docuseries by having psychologists there yes. and, uh, you know, they'd go from the interviews to the psychologists and the psychologists did a really good job of explaining how teenage girls, boys, whatever, just young people's brains are not fully developed. So they're thinking more in that moment, but mm-hmm. their, their, um, strengths for processing things long-term has not yet developed. Yeah, it's just not there. So they're not thinking long-term what might happen. They're just thinking, he's offering me a career, I'm going to get it. Yeah. And everything's going to turn out great because I don't have those skills yet. And um, they also do a really good job of describing the cycle of abuse yes. and how you get like wrapped up in it. And But we're getting ahead of ourselves. But yeah, I want to say two things. If you... Know someone in your life who's been in an abusive relationship or is currently and you just don't understand it. Because, yeah. like, you know, as an outsider, if you've never experienced it, you're like, that would never happen to me. Why does why don't they do them? It's so easy to just not understand and be like, I, I would never let that happen. Yeah. And so if you are looking for greater understanding of how abusive relationships work, um, you know, especially, yeah, if you have a loved one who's in one and you don't understand it. This is a great documentary series to understand how abusive relationships yeah. work. Um, on a lighter note, uh, one of the psychologists that they interview is wearing a sweatshirt. He's wearing like a sweatsuit. And it was so confusing to me because he's such a he's a very handsome, well-spoken uh, psychology expert. Uh-huh. And I wanted to be like, why are you wearing a sweatshirt? It's a nice sweatshirt. He's hip. But it's like a gray. Yeah. Sweatshirt. Yeah. 
And I just wanted to be like, so not a dress shirt, not a suit coat. You're on here as an academic expert and you went sweatshirt. Yeah, man. I mean. Keep it cash. It might have been from the Yeezy collection. I don't know. But I just was very (laughs) confused about that choice of his. Right. And I really enjoyed him. I I enjoyed everything he had to say. Yeah. He was a great person to have on. But I just, I questioned his sartorial choices. Yeah. Totally. And with that, we go to episode four. Episode four. The People versus R. Kelly. R. Kelly goes to trial in Chicago on multiple counts of child pornography for his alleged participation in a sex tape involving a minor. So this is crazy. So, like, this tape gets circulated all over. Everyone knows about it. It's been written about. They find all these different allegations. The journalists have been working really hard to put the story together. He gets, you know called by i'm they're gonna send him to trial he puts this shit off for six years and he manages they they explain how in the legal system you have a right to a speedy trial which means if you want to do the trial now if you're being held in prison like Mm -hmm. let's do the trial now but you don't have to have a speedy trial right so you can file extensions and stuff for evidence and he's out on bail so he's in no hurry to go to court he's out on bail he's making records he's doing tours he's singing in churches and his legal team had this strategy where if this victim who's in the sex tape is going to testify the longer we wait the more adult she'll look and so it'll be less sympathetic to the jurors. If we go to trial now, we have a 15-year-old testifying. Yeah. If we can keep pushing this back, which they did six years, they would have had a 20-year-old or a 21-year-old, and it would have felt less sympathetic because the people are seeing a woman speak, and they're not able to visualize that this was a child. Yeah. Um, And another good part about the docuseries was how they used his music, like, explaining why he stayed so popular because like while this was happening he came out with I believe I can fly and that just like right you know R. Kelly's getting taken down and then he puts out this inspirational gospel song and it lifts his career back up and everyone's like well a monster couldn't make this yeah this is beautiful and like all these churches are using it. He's like doing shows, making himself look like very spiritual with his like Sue and his fucking I believe I can fly shit. And he also put out during that time Step in the Name of Love. Right. Which uh, someone referred to it as like, a, what did they call it? It was like an, an event anthem where they're like, it is a wedding song. Yes. It is like a song that you hear and you have such an emotional tie to because we you hear it at all the big events Mm -hmm. your parents 50th anniversary your wedding whatever right and so r kelly while awaiting trial is becoming more beloved in the public eye which is insane because we know the charges are pending we know the charges are pending but people say he hasn't been convicted of anything yet right and we're just loving him more because he's becoming ingratiated to us as a positive figure yes and at the same time everyone's watching this video which like i agree with sparkle she was like i can't believe everyone was fucking watching this like that's a child and i agree like i i'm so thankful that i never saw it no one ever was like hey watch this video like it was kind of 
I was still young when yeah. it happened, so like it wasn't on my radar. But like I think at the time it was like a taboo thing that everyone wanted to know about and be like, oh my god, it was disgusting, but I had to watch it. Like uh-huh. a car crash, you can't take your eyes away from it. I never had a but desire to watch it. it I watched like the I've seen the Paris Hilton tape. Uh-huh. I've seen the Tom and Pam like Pamela and Tommy Lee tape. Um, I never had a desire to watch that one. Yeah. Even though like I was 20 when it was a thing mm-hmm. and I was drinking a lot and liked to look at fucked up things on the internet. I just never had a desire to watch it where well, they're like, hey, goodness. you want to watch child porn? No, thank you. Right. Yeah. And well, that's the thing. I wonder, do people like even realize they're fucking watching child porn? Like you have to, right? I th- like, I guess the draw of celebrity wins out. Yeah. Over- it just sucks how like I feel like it wasn't taken Seriously, because everyone was just like, oh, my God, the R. Kelly P tape. Like, it was such a bizarre thing at that time that he was peeing in a girl's mouth. And I think think that, like, went over more to people that why they had to see it. Because they're like, I just want to see someone do this fucked up thing. And, like, I don't believe it's real. I think also back then people didn't know about water sports as much. Right. In terms of sexuality. So, because I remember hearing about he had a tape peeing on a girl, and it almost didn't seem sexual to me because I hadn't heard exactly. of like urination it's as like part this. of a sexual thing, and so I'm like, oh, it's a weird tape where he's peeing on someone, but something about that didn't scream sex to me, even though it is a sex tape. Yes, and they do like everyone in the documentary is like, this is a graphic, disgusting video. He does everything you can do to a person, mm-hmm. and it's. like truly disgusting to watch so i'm just like still kind of in shock over how like widely spread it was yeah because you would how viral it went for being on a vhs a tape comes out of a grown man sexualizing a small girl it didn't need to have copies made no if a cop there's a copy exists it goes straight to the police but copies were made and it was handed out at on sidewalks and then it later went on the internet and went viral. And that's alarming because it should just be like, if someone knows something exists like that, it should go right to the police Yeah, and it should not be spread around. No. But here it was, the entire nation was complicit in spreading child pornography. And I feel like that added to people not taking it, taking it seriously. Yeah. Like the fact that you could just... Go grab it. So anyways, he's on trial. Finally, after six years, he's on trial. Um, one of the girls' uh, basketball friends, they were on the team together. She testifies. And says, yes, that's my friend. Yes, she was 14. Yes. Sparkle testifies. Sparkle testifies. You know, they get some good people to testify. Everyone. They had like 10 witnesses saying, I know that girl. I know she was 14. Yes. Um, But they didn't get the actual girl. Or her parents. Or her parents. No, it gets, it's worse than that. Because it is worse than that. So in sexual assault cases, it's very, very hard to get a conviction if the victim isn't willing to testify. Mm -hmm. Which is why a lot of them, they don't even prosecute. Because if the victim isn't willing to testify, they say, we don't have a case, we're not even going to prosecute. Right. So, like, it's hard enough for victims of sexual assault to come forward. There's a lot of shame and embarrassment. And then not only 
are, do they have to be willing to come forward and talk to the police? They have to be willing to go into court yeah. and face their accuser and testify. And that's why so much sexual assault goes unprosecuted. So here it is. It's been six years. The victim doesn't testify. Her mother, the victim's mother testified saying that that was not her daughter on did the tape. I, yes. I know her uncle did too. So what is highly theorized is that the family was paid off because why right. is it that the victim who I think maybe was originally planned on being on the stand She's backed out. She's not testifying. And members of her own family are saying that it isn't her. Right. And you're like, it's her. Everyone says it's her. But obviously the te the testimony of her family members is going to weigh stronger in the minds of the jury. Yeah. And the girl said it wasn't her. Like she didn't testify at all, but she was quoted as saying, that's it's not, not me. me. So that's not good. And then a sparkle had said that, she knew that he was still hanging out with her throughout the, the six time. years that the trial was being put off. So it, it's a, I feel like it is a good theory that the parents and the girl were all in his like circle and he probably, like you said, paid them and was like, do not say it's you. Yeah. I'm going to say he said it wasn't him. He said maybe it was his brother. Like, which yeah. was so fucked up. The and his brother, like one of his brothers, was there on the docu series. Said he was also molested as a child, so he believed R. Kelly was molested. Um, and then later, when this comes out that R. Kelly said maybe it's my brother, you know, I it's family. I understand, but he was like, it wasn't R. Kelly who said that. It was the lawyers who said that. And I'm like. No, dude, your fucking brother threw you under the bus. Like, your brother has the choice to tell the attorneys, we're not going to even pursue that as an option. Yeah. So for him to allow them to say that. Well, he kind of clapped back. Oh, yeah. I mean, he did an interview yeah. and he was like, whether or not R. Kelly goes to jail, he, like, everyone has to pay for what they do. Mm -hmm. Everyone has to meet their maker and, like, deal with the things they do in life. His other brother killing me in prison doing his interview he had a sassy attitude he was like i didn't uh, agree with some of the things he said he was like you know some people like just have a type uh, surprise it's weird i like older women who would have thought but r kelly likes younger women and what's wrong with that i don't understand why everyone's focusing on my brother and then the brother in prison said <sighs> that r kelly so the brother in prison's name was bruce and I believe the younger brother who isn't in prison is named Carrie. Okay. I don't remember. So the younger brother who R. Kelly said it was him in the tape. Mm -hmm. Apparently R. Kelly offered that younger brother $100,000 and a record deal. Yeah. To say that it was him. Just to be like, oh yeah, it was totally me. So basically I'll pay you to take the blame and go to jail for me. Which is old school Hollywood. That's mm -hmm. what... Um, what's his name from gone with the wind did when he killed someone um yeah yeah i, I don't know who okay he plays rep butler in gone with the wind he fucking drunk drove killed someone and oh and the yeah. studio paid someone to go to prison for him and right. then gave the guy a job at the studio when he got out oh. but 
uh, the brother in prison goes, man, why didn't he take that deal? $100,000, a record deal, just to say you did it, he could have been rich. And I'm like, that's why you're in prison, because you're dumb fuck. Because $100,000 isn't that much money. Right. And, like, a record deal doesn't mean shit when you're an admitted pedophile. Like, yeah. what the fuck are you yeah. talking Especially about? Especially when you're in jail. Yeah. Like, like no. come on. Um, but, yeah, the interesting thing was a lot of people were try to say the the girl on the tape didn't testify because she wanted to go be private about her life. She didn't mm-hmm. want to. And her family, they go, oh, her family said it wasn't her because she just wanted to go be a private person. Which if she were not still with R. Kelly, would make sense. Right. Like, this bad thing happened to her. She doesn't want to be in the public eye. She's going to say it's not me and go live her life elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But that's not what happened because she's still with him. So, obviously, the family, more or less, were bought out. And I feel like they sold their daughter to R. Kelly. Because they were willing to testify, this wasn't our daughter, this didn't happen to our daughter, whatever. And she's still seeing R. Kelly that whole six years awaiting Mm -hmm. trial. They fucking sold that child to him. Yeah. It's awful. And I, you know, it's said in the docuseries, if this was a white child, if these were white children, like, the jurors would have found him guilty. Because everyone's seeing the courtroom. Everyone's like, this motherfucker's going to jail. Like, everyone is expecting Mm -hmm. for the verdict to come back guilty. And it comes back not guilty. And everyone's like, what the fuck? And it was really sad because they had a juror on the docuseries and he straight up said, I didn't like the way those women looked. I didn't believe them. I didn't like them. He was like an old German white guy who's like, I did not like those women. Yeah. It's like, you're a fucking monster too. You're a fucking monster. Uh, All right. So episode five, all the missing girls. Parents of girls in R. Kelly's camp accuse him of keeping their, keeping them psychologically and sexually imprisoned. One mother fights to get her daughter back and wins. Okay, so I guess what I was thinking of still happened in the last episode, which is girls were skipping school to mm-hmm. go cheer him on outside of the courtroom. Yeah. And one of the girls who was there every day after the trial concluded his people got in touch with her somehow and was like, R. Kelly wants to meet with you, whatever. And he started talking to her. So, like, for some reason, she still didn't believe because she was such a super fan. She didn't believe that he was guilty of pedophile, being a pedophile. Yeah. But then he's calling her up saying, hey, you should come to my house, bring a swimsuit. And to be fair, she did tell him that she was 19. And when they got to his house and she's in a bathing suit and he's making her walk like a model and strip and whatever, he, like, tries to get sexual with her and she's like, hey, I'm a virgin. And he says, how old are you? And she says, I'm really 16. And he said, keep telling people you're 19 and act 21. Yeah. Which is insane. Ah! And then he's like, she's like, I'm a virgin. And he's like, well, that's perfect because I can take your virginity now. And I can teach and you. I can teach you. Oh. Uh, ah, I hate R. Kelly. So. So now we're on to the missing girls. Yeah. So that girl, he she dated him briefly mm-hmm. and he said, hey, you should get me another girl. 
Like, he's having his girls recruit other girls. Right. So she has her friend. She's like, yeah, I like this friend. We hang out all the time. They met on MySpace. They met on MySpace. Bonding over their love for R. Kelly. Yeah. And so this friend also starts hanging out with R. Kelly. And they don't initially full-time live with him. But, like, they would tell their parents they were at each other's house and go spend the weekend at his house. Mm -hmm. But she's like, we never even saw each other because we would be locked in our rooms. We didn't know how many other girls were there, but we had these phones he gave us and we would like try to meet up where it's like you asked to go to the bathroom. I'll ask to go to the bathroom. We'll meet in the same bathroom mm-hmm. and they couldn't even meet up inside yeah. of his house. She said they never met, were able to do it. And this is like the fucked up thing, too. He does the same pretty much the same thing to all the girls. It starts out with he wants them to call him daddy. And you're like, oh, well, that's kind of annoying. But like, whatever, if it'll make you happy. And then once he has you in his house, he, like, starts locking you in a room. Then he starts starving you. If you're bad, you don't get to eat. And you have then you have to start wearing the sweatpants. I mean, this is the stuff we did cover in our original episode, I guess. So you can go back and listen to that. But it's just fucked up. He has this whole thing. And whether it's one of the first girls that met him or one of the girls that met him later on um, when he was older... It's all the same. So for him to be like, this is all false. People are making up lies about me. I don't even know these women. Like, oh, really? Because why are all their stories matching up? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. You're a fucking monster. Yeah. So. So the one girl who met him outside (laughs) his trial, she actually only dated him for six months. She got out. Mm -hmm. But her friend was still with him. As of the filming of this documentary. Yes. And her, fr- I can't remember her friend's name. I think it was, oh, it was Dominique. Her mom calls her Nika. Her mom, Michelle, was one of my favorite people in the whole documentary. Yeah. I was screaming at the TV and crying. I loved her so much. Oh, man. It was so emotional. Because, so this mom, she found out that her daughter, Nika, is going and staying at R. Kelly's house. And she makes her daughter give her R. Kelly's phone number. He answers himself and she's like, I'm so-and-so stay the fuck away from my daughter. Cause she heard the story. She knew she yeah. was like, fuck no. Well, her daughter keeps going behind her back and seeing him. And, and Oh, and she thought like her daughter was going to college and stuff. And she yeah. was, I thought she was doing what was right. I thought she was done with R. Kelly. She's going to college. She had whatever. a job. And, um, but then she like turns 18 as soon as she turned 18, she was like, Mom, I'm still seeing R. Kelly, and he wants me to move into his house, and I'm moving. And she was like, you know, what could I do? She's 18. She's not going to listen to me. And was she the one who was like, you know, I, I just had to decide either, like, she'll cut me out of her life for trying to stop her. Or she can go and maybe she'll still keep me in her life. Yes. And so her daughter goes and stops talking to her mom. She stops all contact after a few weeks. And, like, her mom knows, like, something's not right. Because, like, her daughter and her were friends and they talked. And why isn't her daughter talking? And, And we know now, like, it's because R. Kelly takes these girls' phones away. He gives them burners. He Mm -hmm. makes sure to know who they're calling and talking to. Like, they're isolated. So her daughter doesn't have a way to talk to her. Mm -hmm. Um, And she gets wind that her daughter is still with R. Kelly. Like, I think there's another missing girl whose parents were speaking out to the police. Yeah, they're putting out media blasts being like, 
our daughter has Stockholm syndrome. She's with R. Kelly. She's being brainwashed and we want her back. And so this girl makes these videos where she talks to TMZ and is like, mm-hmm. no, I'm fine. It's Joycelyn. Is Joycelyn, this girl. that's right. And so TMZ fought, finds Joycelyn at a hotel in California and they're posting a video like we see Joycelyn. And then this woman, Michelle, sees her daughter, Dominique, in the background. Oh, which killed me because her daughter looks like a boy because R. Kelly made her cut her hair short like a boy haircut. And is making her dress in boys' sports clothes, like baggy basketball shorts. And it shorts has to be a bull's hat. And a bull's hat. And he treats her like his little boy. And that's what he says. This is my boy. And he likes her that way. Which is so weird. It's just like another layer of dysfunction on top of like what's already crazy, fucking disgusting and weird. Yeah, one of the interesting things was a different girl, What he dated was into basketball and was like, oh, I like this team. And he just said, no, you don't. You like the Bulls. And, like, made her get rid of whatever team hat she had, and she had to wear Bulls hats. I think he slapped her when she said Oh, yeah, that's right. She's like, no, I don't. I like the Celtics. And he's like, bitch, and slaps her. And then, yeah, she had to become a Bulls fan. Because he's a fucking control freak. he's insane. So the whole time, like, his wife stayed with him. Up until the end of the trial. And then that's when... Because she didn't know that there were women in the house. Like, she says she didn't She know. says she doesn't know. Uh, obviously, no one really knows what yeah. she knew and what she didn't. But she said... Because he had a house Girls in at Atlanta. The and uh, well, A house in Atlanta, a house in Chicago... And he also has, like, beds and stuff where girls live at the studio. Yeah, so she says, like, they, he kept every, he kept her isolated, mm-hmm. and he kept the girls isolated, so they were all kind of separated. But eventually, she figures out, like, okay, this shit's for real. He's a fucking monster. And she leaves him. Mm-hmm. And she leaves him by, like, just taking a duffel bag and whatever money she had and like just leaving. Yeah. Like she's like, I had to get out. And I, you know, he was being really abusive to her too. The sad part was like, it's all sad, but it was sad how like a lot of the girls, when it came to the physical abuse, they like would just start crying and like, I can't talk about it. Cause yeah. it's still too disturbing for me to think about and like bring back up. And that was one thing his wife was like, it's just too dark and too disturbing and a part of me doesn't believe it's even real that Mm -hmm. that happened to me so I'm not going to talk about it which I totally get I his his wife is an interesting character because she in the in the documentary says I left him like and since then like our house has gotten foreclosed on he hasn't paid child support Mm -hmm. like blah 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 like fuck you R. Kelly more or less but in my research after this aired, a year ago, she did an Instagram live where she was listening to R. Kelly music and like jamming out and being like, that's my baby daddy. Yeah, I love him. And then since this documentary aired, she did um, a post, a video where she's saying, I will always love him. Like he could have hidden from the press, but he kept working and making music because he loved his kids and wanted to provide for his family. 
and I will always love him. Whatever bad things he did, I will love him for taking care of his children. And, like, people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you said in this, he wasn't even paying child support. And um, other people were very quick to comment. It's complicated. Stockholm syndrome is real. The abuse was real. It went on for years. And it's really, it's very hard for people to have negative feelings for someone they loved so much. And that's Mm. the thing is when you love someone and they're a monster to you, it's very hard to believe that that is real. Right. So her saying like, I can't even believe that it's real. I think even though they've been divorced now for quite some time, she's obviously still struggling with accepting the scale to which he is a fucking monster. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's typical. I related so hard. Like, I don't, like I told my husband, I said, this isn't the thing I want to have in common with R. Kelly girls, but mm. unfortunately it is, is like being abused and it takes so long. Like it took me years to admit to myself that it actually happened and that it was actually as bad as I thought it was. And it took like seeing it like in documentaries and yeah. in other things that are outside of yourself to be like, holy fuck, like, damn, I didn't realize the situation I actually was in, that's crazy. Yeah, I am. Um, so I get it, but at the same time, like, yeah, it sucks because she has the whole world judging her, and it makes it confusing for people. Yeah, because, again, if people don't understand an abusive relationship, it's hard for them to understand how someone could defend their abuser. And for a long time, like, after I got out of mine, I still couldn't tolerate when people would say negative things about him. Yeah. People would say negative things about him, and I would defend him and say, like, listen, what happened between us is one thing, but I, what you're saying isn't true and blah, blah, blah. And I would – it took a long time to be, like – Yeah. Yeah, just because, like, it's almost like your brain wants to make things okay. Oh, and you want to be, like, well, yeah, they did that, but you don't know what – you don't see the good side of them that I see. And you don't know, like, that what a good person they are when they're sober and when they're not angry. Yeah. And it's just, like – it's like a protection mechanism because you don't want to admit to yourself that that happened to you and that it happened so long or, you know, there's yeah. all kinds of. It's a lot. Of, I, I can't tell you the number of girls I know who, after being raped, went on a date with their rapist. Because right. it was almost like, oh, if I go on a date with this person, it'll undo what happened, which was very clearly sexual assault. Yeah. Because it's like your mind wants to rewrite history. And it's why actually, in my experience, like why I went back to my abuser so much, it's almost like I would get out and I'd be single and be completely out of the relationship. But like what had happened was so bad that I was almost drawn back to try to rewrite history yeah like oh we if we can do it right it'll undo all those bad things that happened like this time things are going to be better they're going to be good and if we can just make things good between us then it'll correct all the horrible things that have happened and like that's not how it works but that's how your brain works because it it wants to make things okay and so yeah it's definitely um some sort of protection defense mechanism well they said in the documentary it takes on average a woman seven to ten times to leave her abuser for good like she will go back seven to ten times before finally 
ending the relationship for good. And we see that because Nikita's mom sees her on TMZ and she's already going to go out to LA to do the interviews for the documentary. Mm -hmm. So she calls the documentary production company, whatever, and is like, will you fly me out a week early or a few days early, whatever, um, because I saw my daughter and I think I can find her. Mm -hmm. And so they do. And she goes to the hotel. First, it's the wrong one. They're like, there's one across the street that's the same name. She goes over there. And this is the part, like, this is the only part in the documentary that I was like, this is kind of funny. Because she tells the manager, it happens to be Mother's Day, the day she's looking for daughters. So she goes up to the hotel manager and she's like, I'm here to surprise my daughter for Mother's Day. She doesn't know I'm here. Can you call her room and tell her to come down for a package? So he calls and he's like, she says she doesn't want to come down. She can't come down here. I can take you to the room. So he takes her and whoever she's with is filming on their phone, like this whole thing happening. He takes her to the room and he's knocking and he's knocking. Finally, she answers. He steps away and does a hand gesture like, come mother to your Mm -hmm. child. And she sees her daughter. She pushes her way in the room and shuts the door. But as soon as Nikita, what? Yeah, her name's Dominique, but her mom called her Nika, yeah. As soon as Nika opens the door, the hotel manager puts a thumbs up and is just standing there, like, with a thumbs up. I assume a huge smile on his face. Because he thinks what's happening there is good. Yeah, like, your mom surprised you. It's Mother's Day. And that was... uh, somewhat amusing yeah. because I'm like this guy has no, no fucking idea. idea what is happening and poor him because um, he just thinks he's doing the greatest thing which he did because yeah. she gets in the room and she's just like uh, Dominique Nika I don't know why I keep wanting to call her Nikita now uh, Nika you need to come home please please come home I love, I love you. you I miss you and it's like really intense and her daughter's finally like okay come back at six like I miss you too come back at six and we'll get together mm-hmm. the mom can't wait that long she's like hovering around the hotel the whole time which I would be too like oh, honestly yeah. I would probably be like I'm gonna knock you out and drag you yeah home. like I don't when know she left that hotel room like her mom this is what I loved her mom she was so strong and powerful because yeah. she's trying to engineer this so that it can work that she can save her daughter. Right. She's being really smart She's about it. She's being really it. smart about it. I, when she was l- walking out of the hotel room and walking down the hall and walking out of the hotel, I was like screaming, like, how can you do that? Because I yeah. physically, like, I know yeah. myself, I physically would not have been able to move my body away from that hotel room. No, me neither. Like, just the idea of being like, I need to walk away now to come back later because we're doing a rescue mission and I can't just steal her right now. Right. I would have had a hard time physically getting my body to move yeah. away from that room. Yeah, it would have been really hard. So she's like hovering. She comes back early and the manager informs her that I don't know if it was her daughter or someone else because Joycelyn's in the room with her, too. And he just says, your daughter says that you are not her mother. She called the police. You need to leave the hotel room. Yeah, he said, if you don't leave, I have to call the police and file a police report against you. And she's like, 
what the fuck? And she she somehow knows. She goes, my daughter didn't do that. That yeah. wasn't my daughter. Which even if her daughter did do that, she's under she, mind control. Right. So. And she leaves for a minute and she's like, no, fuck this. I came too close. I am not going home without my daughter. So she sneaks back into the hotel, into a bathroom stall. Uh-huh. And she calls someone. She's on the phone with someone. She's like, I'm in the stall. I, oh, she calls her daughter. Does yeah. she call her daughter? I think she calls the room. She calls the room. She's like, I'm in the bathroom stall come down here like i'm waiting for you and her daughter does she comes down with a backpack full of whatever the fuck she's able to have in her backpack Mm -hmm. and her mom just wraps an arm around her and runs her out of the hotel and she's like come on quickly we're calm they're like and they walk they get to a cab and there's a moment where she's like (sighs) holding her daughter and she goes you did good, baby. You did good. And I am just oh, man. water Oh, yeah. She's like, you were so strong. You were so brave. It was like the perfect thing to tell her daughter at that moment. Yeah. And yeah, I was sobbing at that point. I was just like, <laughs> you did good, baby. <laughs> like, you did good. It's sad because he starts off with young high school girls. But after the trial, he moves to girls who are 18, 19. Mm-hmm. The youngest he can get with getting away with it legally. And he cuts them off from their family. So there's all these parents who are desperate to see their girls, but they can't do anything. And that's so I noticed he like picks up girls in counties where 17 is the legal age. He does 17. Right. Um, be, and then the parents will say, my 17 year old daughter, he has her. And they'll say, we can't do anything. Yeah. That is technically an adult in this county. Yeah. So he's being real smart about it because the parents can't charge him with kidnapping. Right. So it's sad because, you know, the parents are doing everything they can. But if their daughters don't want to reach out to them, you know, they're powerless. And it's it's just a cycle of abuse and brainwash. And there's they cover one more girl's story who this was this fucking broke my heart like. It's all sad, but this really fucking got me. A family, they go to an R. Kelly concert for the dad's birthday. Man, I'm going to cry. This is so upsetting. It's the dad's birthday. He's an R. Kelly fan, so they go to the concert. R. Kelly calls their daughter up on stage with a bunch of other girls to, like, sing and dance. And he gives her his number. Well, the girls are ushered instead of coming down off the stage back to their audience they're ushered out backstage right so the parents who didn't want their daughter alone with r kelly they're waiting for their daughter to come out of backstage yeah and it's taking forever and when their daughter finally gets to them she's like he asked to hear me sing he had me sing he wants me to meet with him whatever right and they were like maybe we'll talk about it we'll go with you we'll meet together but, of course, that's not what happened. That's not what happens. He, you know, I'm assuming they exchange phone numbers because mm-hmm. he gets connected with her. And he's like, come to this hotel. And long story short, the parents find out that she went to another, what, like, city or state? It was it like, was she a, went somewhere far. It was like an- another city, but still in Florida. But she's at the hotel. And so they both leave their jobs. They go to the hotel. They're trying to get their room number from the front desk. The front desk won't say that R. Kelly is staying there. They finally give in because they're like, our 16-year-old daughter is in that room, blah, blah, blah. 
And then they're like, well, he's rented out two floors. And so they're running down the halls and they're knocking on doors trying to find their daughter. And I'm like, dude, he has two floors of a hotel rented out. How many fucking girls does he have in how many rooms, right? So they finally, they can't find their daughter. They wait in the lobby. Their daughter finally comes down and is like, what? I was just an audition. I thought it was no big deal. Whatever. Mm -hmm. They later find out, much later, that her daughter had sex with R. Kelly that first time at that hotel. Yeah. Which was insane. Oh, and it's awful because they contact R. Kelly and they're like, we are very upset at Mm -hmm. what you did. And he's like, I'm so sorry. She she made me um, feel that you guys knew about it and that it was fine. I thought you guys knew. And then he's like, I want to work with your daughter. And they're, God bless them, you know, the, the things you do to try and gain success for yourself, for your kids, for your family. Well, and they also were like, she was raising such a stink about it that we were like, how can we safely explore this yeah. without our daughter hating us? Because they were like, she's going to sneak out and do it. Right. If she we was don't. threatening. She's like, I'll just leave if you don't let me like you better let me. So they give in and they tell our Kelly, you can mentor our daughter. However, uh, one of us always has to be with her. Mm-hmm. You cannot be alone with our daughter. And he's like, of course, of course. Like, what? why would I? I'm not a fucking gross pedophile. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they start going to his studio and back and forth. And there's always a mother or a father or a brother or a sister because mm-hmm. she has older siblings Well, she goes with her sister one time and her sister wants to go get something to eat. And the daughter's like, we can't leave. R. Kelly will get so upset. You have to ask R. Kelly first. And the sister's like, well, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm going to go get something to eat. Right? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I loved her sister. Her sister's name was Isis. Yes. And her sister was like my second favorite person in the documentary after Mama Michelle. Uh Uh-huh. Because... On this trip, her sister, so the girl the who R. Kelly's mentoring tells oh, her sister. Do you remember her name? I wish Is I could. Jasmine? I, I think it's Jasmine. Okay. I, I think so. Uh, says, hey, okay, you have to call, call R. Kelly daddy. And the sister, Isis, goes, no, I don't. My daddy's in Florida. <laughs> And I rewound it and watched it like five times. She was was like, good. You're right. Your daddy is in Florida. (laughs) And then she like on a later visit went back to visit her sister because her sister ended up like running away and living with R. Kelly. Mm -hmm. And um, is that when she said you have to ask him to go get food or to leave? It was when you, yeah, you have to ask him to leave or whatever. And Isis goes. I saw these girls in this room, these rooms, they're trapped in these rooms. You see the buckets. They have to pee in a bucket because they can't leave to go to the bathroom. And she goes, how are you going to (laughs) go? How are you going to go from living in a house with a toilet to peeing in a bucket and calling this guy daddy? And I was like, (laughs) I, amen. 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 She's like, I was, I wanted (sighs) desperately. I want someone to make a YouTube supercut of yeah. Isis because every time she was on screen, I was like, I love you 
so much. She's great. She like brought yeah because like, you're feeling bad. You're watching this right. horrible thing. She brought a little bit of a reprieve. A little yeah. She brought like that just comedic straight <laughs> talk that we all needed. Your daddy is in Florida. I says yeah. you're right. And she's like. I'm 22. I'm a grown ass woman. No one's going to tell me when I can go eat. Like, yeah. I'm going to go get some food. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know how much we love food here at the Simone exactly. podcast. No one tells you. So upsetting when people withhold food. Yeah. No one can tell you when or what to eat. <laughs> and like, it's just like, yeah, you go get food when you want to. Isis. Uh, so she leaves. She comes back and she's locked out. And they're like, your sister left. Oh, she's not yeah. here. And she's like, oh, my gosh, she causes a huge stink about it. Of course, what you should do. She yeah. does exactly what you should do. Do not let me leave here without my sister. I will call the cops and tell them R. Kelly kidnapped my sister. She's straight up like, I will call the cops on you, R. Kelly. And so her sister comes out finally. Oh, and, and it's like, like, nothing's oh. wrong. I, what are you making a big deal about? And so. They, but and she also says, if you tell if you call the cops or whatever, like, he's going to hurt me. He's going to hurt mom and dad. Right. And Ice is, like, is scared to tell her parents. Well, because they end up putting her in a car. His Someone from his team ends up putting her in the car, dropping her off, like, miles away. She has no idea where she is. And that's when they say, like, one of his employees straight up tells her, I will kill your parents if you tell them. Like, I will oh. hurt your family. And so she's thinking, like... I'm protecting my parents. I'm just going to not say anything. Well, we all know what happens. It just gets a lot worse. It's been two years now since they've seen their daughter. They can't get a hold of her. They, you know, when Nika got taken back with her mom, she told them that their daughter had thought about leaving multiple times, but was too scared. And she told them where she thought the daughter was at one of the studios or whatever. So they go and they're like throwing rocks at the Mm -hmm. building. They're like screaming. It it was very sad to watch. I have no idea what the fuck I would do if I had a daughter who was just like, peace. Bye. Our Kelly loves me. Like it's terrifying. Yeah. And there's knowing like she wants to leave, but she's scared to leave. And like, Oh, and they ended up not being able to get her back. Yeah. And, they still haven't seen her as of when the docuseries yeah. was done um, filming. Um, so, <sighs> and one of the things we learn is the girl from the video still with him to this day. Uh, he has yes. someone that he calls his trainer to train new girls. And people think that it might be that girl. I mean, I assume because when the 17 year old who initially had sex with her in their threesome first encountered her, she said that. It was like she knew everything to do and when to do it. And it was like they were showing me what to do, not her or him. Yeah. Like she knew exactly what the next move was. And it was like she had been trained already and was it was a smooth thing. Yeah. So that's upsetting. Yeah. Because the DJ um, who he met, this woman who was a radio DJ. um, Oh, yeah. Kitty. Kitty, who she's the main girl we covered in our episode mm-hmm. because she had just come out with a story at that time about her relationship with him and how abusive it was. Um, he actually introduced her to the 14 year old girl in the videotape 
And she that's when she broke down for the first time because she's like, I knew who that yeah, cause was. Yeah, because she she was a radio DJ. She worked in entertainment. She was 30 when she met R. Kelly. But she, so she was, for, because she worked in entertainment, she was familiar with the sex tape. Mm-hmm. So when she met the girl, she was like, because no one knew. I think she was with R. Kelly. Kitty dated R. Kelly in like 2012. And no one knew at that point what had happened to the girl in the tape. I think everyone just assumed that she wanted to live her life in privacy and get over it. Yeah. And so now here she is. She's dating R. Kelly and he introduces her to someone. And she's staring at the face of this girl from this video that was over 10 years ago. And here she is. Yeah. Jesus. Oh, fuck. So it's all very upsetting. Um, And on the last episode is called Black Girls Matter. And the description is, as other major public figures fall from grace, women's groups come forward to take aim against the sexually brazen superstar. And this is just an episode where they mainly discuss how, you know, race definitely plays a part in this because... I strongly agree with them that if it was white children that this was happening to, he would have been taken down a long ass time ago. And not only that, but the black community refuses to admit that R. Kelly is this fucking monster. And that's a huge issue, too, is there's so many in people within the black community that don't believe the women and don't want to believe that R. Kelly is doing this. And they struggle with um, basically like they don't want any of these pillars of their community to be disgraced. And so it becomes hard when it's like, oh, here's a black figure who's really made it in the world. O.J. Simpson, R. Kelly. And it's like they don't want to take them. They don't want to see them taken down because what a hit. Right. To the community. And and, and it's easy for them to say it's the white media trying to like you know, persecute this guy or whatever. Um, A lot of people present day are claiming that this documentary series is a false flag to distract from the government shutdown. Jesus Christ. No, which is just like, like, because it's, it is hard to believe. I, for me, I go, how hard is it to believe that someone's a fucking monster? Right. I've known monsters in my life. I was raised by a pedophile. So, like, for me, when it comes out that someone's a monster, um, it's not hard for me to believe. Yeah. It is hard for me to believe that he's had this entire crew around him. He has an entire support system facilitating his abuse. Uh, They interviewed a a former employee, like, behind a screen with, like, a voice changer. And they were talking about how the staff handles it and what they're told to do. And so that's hard to believe where it's like, Oh, it's like a whole operation in motion. Right. And, um, and like that, that former staff member says like they break down crying at one point and the interviewer's like, are you okay? And they're like, I'm really sorry. But like when you're in it in the day to day, you're just doing your job and you don't really think about, is this wrong? Is this right? How fucked up is this? But the more I'm talking about it and explaining it, Mm -hmm. the more I'm realizing that this is really, really sick and not normal. Which is like, this is the beauty of conversation. If it's mentionable, it's manageable. Right. And when you are in an abusive situation, you tend to not want to talk about it because 
when you articulate things, you realize how fucked up they are. And that's why it's very important, I think, for people to have raw and honest conversations with each other um, and not be afraid of, like, what could be embarrassing or triggering or whatever because here it is. This, people are working for this guy. It's a daily thing to say this girl's on the this girl was bad. She's on the do not eat list or whatever, which he had. Yeah. Like, um, but then in articulating it, this staff member is able to internalize how wrong it is. Mm-hmm. And so it's like there is great value in having conversation with other people because it helps you realize your own life and right. what's good and what's bad. Yeah. Um, Jesus fucking so, Christ. The Me Too movement's happening. Harvey Weinstein's been, you know, prosecuted. All of these celebrities are being, lights being shed on how fucked up they are. And people are wondering, like, what the fuck about R. Kelly? Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, I don't remember who the people are. I don't remember the documentary, yeah. But there's a few people come together and they're like, let's, let's do something. Let's just boycott. So they start protesting at, like, his concerts and they contact radio in Atlanta and ask him not to play R. Kelly's music anymore and it starts to like pick up steam hashtag mute R. Kelly mute R. Kelly and honestly when if you watch this documentary and you start to hear um his lyrics and the songs and the stories I think it'll be very easy for you to not want to listen to his music because Mm -hmm. you start to realize that all the songs that are really sexual he's talking about being a pedophile and he's just putting it out there in plain sight dude the fucking song you are not alone that he wrote for michael jackson was about one of his 16 year old girlfriends having a miscarriage like and you're just like jesus fucking christ yeah and it's sad um because r kelly's songs like his music spiked after this docuseries Mm -hmm. aired because a lot of people were like well i'm not really familiar with his music and i was interested in what they were talking about so i went to listen to see if i could hear that in it Uh so unfortunately like it was a bump for him temporarily i hope that after that it goes way 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 down and um so yeah this episode they're mostly talking about how we just need to keep raising awareness mute r kelly like all the steps that people are doing in their communities to mute r kelly which is like protesting at his concerts and like asking radio stations not to play his music i personally will be going to my local karaoke bar this weekend and asking them to not allow people to sing r kelly songs nice and take it out of their catalog so I just like I if he comes to the city I will protest him. Yeah. Like I hate this man with a passion and it's like really devastating to me. Um and the positive news is a lot of people think like protests and stuff don't matter and that voicing things on social media doesn't affect change. But his concerts are getting canceled. Yeah. He's had um He's been evicted from apartments because he can't pay rent because his finances are hurting. And all of that matters because they say the the industry people they interview in the documentary say even through all the controversy, studios were still willing to work with him because they're saying, does he bring in money? Mm -hmm. He's selling records. He's making money. He's making tons of money. And so they don't care that he's fucking a 15 year old and they don't care that he's made this you know, pedophile sex tape because he's bringing in money. So finally, 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 
it is affecting the bottom line and yeah that that is affecting change it's a it's a perfect way to get him out and like ruin him is by not listening to his music and not supporting him also there was a woman Ann powers in the docu-series who was like i think she's just like a musical historian type person i love was she the white lady yeah she was the one white lady in the entire series i loved her she did a really good job of like just giving examples of how this isn't really anything new in the music industry Mm -hmm. because men like from the 50s and now till now have like fetishized young women like a lot of songs in the 50s were about like little girls little girls girls. yeah Ooh, how i want those little girls and like even the beatles have said like have lyrics in their songs about like she was 17 if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and then um she also does a good job like remember alvis married priscilla she was like 17 he brought her from germany i think um there were uh what's his name jerry lee lewis jerry lee lewis who married his cousin she was like 15 years old 13 13 jesus christ he was sad i i love that movie with one and a writer yeah. and Dennis Quaid. Everyone loves that movie. And it's a real sad, sad situation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just like this isn't exactly new. It is like crazy how successful he's been in keeping this abuse going for decades and decades and decades. But it is something that like we have been like conditioned to not think it's that weird to fetishize yeah little girls and young women so i just enjoyed that they had like so so many good people that were like psychologists the historians journalists yeah pop culture analysts yeah like like, they really do a good job of explaining everything around the issue it's not like tabloid sensationalism right it's a well thought out dare i say intellectual Ooh, i i think you dare i dared i said it (laughs) yeah there's like i mean there's so much we didn't even cover in the documentary still like i highly recommend watching it if you feel up to it check it out because it not only goes through all of the interviews with the girls and the people that he's abused and people related to them but it talks about what was going on in our society around that time. Yes. And it really helps explain because my husband was like, I don't get how he could just keep doing this for so long. Mm-hmm. Like, why hasn't it been stopped if it's like that bad? And then we watched the documentary and it's like, oh, because he put his trial off for six years and then he got found not guilty. And even some of the parents are like, well, we were concerned, but, you know, he was found not guilty. So we assume that he didn't really do those things. And a lot of people think that. Like, I was shocked how many people were like, well, he was not found not guilty. So I just assumed everything was yeah. okay. And it's like, and then the, you know, the fucking ballads he's putting out and he's changing his persona to look more like a spiritual person and like less sexual and it's just awful 
And, like, he does that interview with Wendy Williams. He talks to Wendy Williams for, like, two hours, tells her everything. She can't discuss it, of course. Yeah. But then the next day he comes out with an 18-minute song that's basically like, I did it. I did it. I did it. Like, he's just flaunting this shit in everyone's face. So, Jesus Christ, check it out. It'll definitely change how you feel about R. Kelly, whether you think nothing of him or you like him. And it's really sad how many people are still standing up for him. It's insane. On a lighter note, if anyone wants to explain to me why they filmed it in front of a green screen only to replace (laughs) the background with black. It was so bizarre. I kept wondering that myself. Thank you. Especially because black women have curly, kinky hair and green screen for anyone who has curly, kinky hair. Like the green screen's very hard. To get to cut out around the hair. So there's always this line of like blurry, like where you can tell it's a green screen. It's like, why didn't you just put a that black cl- background? Yeah. Put a fucking cloth back there. What are you doing? I yeah, I wonder if initially they thought they were gonna put footage behind them. Oh and that's maybe. why they did it as maybe. a green screen. I need to know if there's a reason for that because filming with a green screen, it's very hard to light people without them having a green glow. Mm-hmm. So you went through the trouble of doing that to then not use the green screen and to put in the black. And then, yeah, it's an awkward yeah. masking situation with the hair cut out. As an art, as a media artist, yeah, I would like to know. Uh-huh. I demand. Demand. Also, Wendy William ad- Williams added nothing to the documentary. Oh, no, not at all. She had, like, nothing to say. They would just cut to her, and she would be Wendy Williams, and it was almost, like, jarring. Yeah. She's like, you know, he said that um, he didn't do it, but, you know, he doesn't have to say he did it. You know? know? You know? And that was and it. And then her, like, I know she has a disease, and it makes her eyes widen, but it's still crazy to look at. Um... Yeah, and I think it's partially because she has such an animated personality that then she has these animated eyes, and it's, it's interesting. But yeah. she actually had nothing to say in it, Not and they really. would just cut to her for no reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like, it's good. We didn't even cover all of the women that were abused and interviewed. I did like at the end they gave an update on like the women that did leave him. Oh. And like... Did you read that at the very end? Because they did like... Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, Dominique, her mom got her. She went back to R. Kelly after the filming. But then she went back to her mom and was currently living with her mom at the time they finished. Oh, thank God. So that was like, oh, my God. Um, the two parents, the two pairs of parents who were trying to find their d- girls, um, they still haven't gotten in contact with them. The young girl who stayed with him for, like, six months, who met him at the trial, she is now, like, married with two kids and has a career. She went to college. Like, she's doing good. My favorite was one woman, one woman who met him when she was older. Um, she ended up leaving him, and she now has her own HVAC business. Oh. Like, what an interesting career to get into. HVAC. I don't even remember that. So that's cool. <laughs> she was the last girl that they spoke to who went back to, to the, the house. house. Oh, man. Oh, was... She was interesting because she said she was older when she met him. She was in and her 30s. She... And she was like, he likes the young girls because they're easy to manipulate. 
But if you're older and you're weak, he'll still prey on you. He's like, she's like, he'll fuck anyone. Yeah. But he needs them to be emotionally vulnerable and mentally like broken down or whatever. And she's like, I had been divorced. My husband was cheating on me. So like for me, it was like not only is he R. Kelly and I'm a huge fan, but he's honest about the fact that he's seeing other women. And to me, that seemed like an upgrade. Right. And she was a huge diehard R. Kelly fan. She said she would kick you out of her house if you said something bad about R. Kelly. And it's sad. She's the one who was like, R. Kelly is fun. He's charming. He's funny. He's sweet. Robert is the devil. Yeah. Like the man behind the mask is a fucking monster. So, ooh, gets me heated. I know. I hate him. I had nightmares. Enemy of the show. Enemy of the show for life. So, I I hope you guys, you know, got something out of this. Maybe it'll make you want to go watch the docuseries if you haven't. And if you feel like you can't, maybe it's a good enough recap for you to know what's going on without having to watch it yeah that's what i hope for you know i hope we just give you what you need all the time all right well happy hump day everyone (laughs) have a good week bye